welcome back to Mental Music, a podcast made for teens by teens, discussing mental health from a teenage perspective. I'm George, and this will actually be the last time that um, you have to endure my voice. Um, I'm Kelsey, and I, both of us, are not continuing with Mental Music. We didn't get fired, it just kind of happened, it's all good. The people who are replacing us as hosts are really awesome people. I know them all, and they're cool, and you're really lucky. But to say goodbye, I'd like to share a couple of my favorite episodes, some of my favorite memories of being on this project. The first one uh, is uh, the music interview episode with John Ferguson at the Griffith Conservatorium. That was really, really awesome, just getting to chat to like an absolute music genius slash music nerd you know like you, you can't really be one without the other going into his office it was just cluttered with electronic detritus you kind of had to wade through uh, that was pretty awesome i i didn't really prepare him much for that interview actually i i sent him a few questions but essentially all of that was just it was just improv it, it was it was pretty cool yeah. I'm joined today by John Ferguson. Hello. A, yeah. uh, a professor at the conservatorium. Oh, uh, head of music technology uh, Queensland Conservatorium. Uh, senior lecturer rather than professor, but that's okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay. What's your experience on uh, like the, the power of sound to like induce human impulses, emotions perhaps, maybe like as an improviser yeah. in some situations? Yeah, look, I mean... It's a very broad Yeah, there, um, <laughs> there are definitely, like, for me, more um, questions here than answers, and certainly I'm more likely to ask questions than, than kind of have answers. Uh, try this. me. Yeah, well... <laughs> no. Well, what is, what is our... Yeah, no, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's not try that yet. Um, the way I think of it, kind of rightly or wrongly, and mm-hmm. maybe, you know, certainly not scientifically, is we all have, in some sense these experimental resonances that we carry around with us, just our own way of understanding the world. I really do mean quite literally in terms of a a metaphor. Like we all have heard certain things in certain ways and had certain experiences. And then, well, various things, but including sound. Sound can elicit these in different ways. So we hear a sound and it has a personal meaning to us or not, of course. And the thing I find most interesting is the um, the responses that other people have can really be quite different. So I guess I have a hard time explaining yeah. how I react to specific sounds. But um, one of the metaphors, and it's not really my own metaphor, but uh, my previous kind of PhD supervisor, Bennett Hogg, always had the idea that the violin might actually be a lie detector. Like he has the idea as well that the um, the violin is a is basically a heavily modified tree. So always trying to like <laughs> keep the technology and its um, yeah. mm-hmm. and its starting points and its and its basis together. So I mean he he does things like, like now drag these through forests with microphones inside in order to put <laughs> the modified tree back in the context from which it came. Yeah. And that sort of thing. But there is also this sense that if you're listening particularly to somebody else improvising and you're responding it's that kind of Cartesian divide of 
I may plan to do something in response to what I just heard, but my body's going to do it faster than... faster and <laughs> without any um, cognition uh, that I'm aware of, that kind of... those, in, those brain impulses that go from, from ear... They are mediated by the brain, I guess, but it's like a little bit of information. It's like, it's like a passageway, really. Yeah, so yeah. if that, if this happens, something gets triggered, which causes an output, and am I more aware of the thing that I just heard or my own body's reaction to it? And that's the bit I'm never really sure about. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there is, there's definitely a response, like I, I respond in certain ways to certain sounds. But then there is, this is where the kind of lie detector thing comes in. If you're really listening and, you, and you're responding in a gestural way really quite quickly, the listening perspective of being inside that and being surprised at what you just did and then got kind of, oh, maybe that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> I was trying mm. to set this up so that in about, like my conscious thinking might be, okay, this is getting boring. I'm going to get out of this and go to this other thing. So I might be working with one instrument on my left and this one on my right. Mm -hmm. I'm waving my hands like this microphone can see me. Um, and I might be just trying to do that transition. But then the other person I'm playing with triggers something and I can no longer go there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Partially because of what they did, but also partially because of my response to it. And that's the bit I find confusing. Um, and that's the bit I find most kind of interesting. So, like we've talked a little bit um, before this microphone was on about um, things like shepherd tone, which is when there's a whole series of sine yeah. sine waves and they are slowly descending. And when it gets to the to the low the low end, that one fades out, and another one at the top end really slowly mm -hmm. fades back in. And you never quite are sure when one is fading in, one is fading out. So you get this yeah. continuous. Yeah. Mm -hmm motion so it's a it's a perception right and uh, the same can happen with rhythm by thinning out a rhythm and then feeding back in some more complexity and shepherd tones like when it it's just ever rising yeah ever rising like, or, so, or ever falling yeah and so like it's it's like used in sometimes certain cinematography like yes it's like just hyper stress yeah like it's yeah and then, so that's the shepherd tone, and then there's the Risse rhythm, which is the same approach to, to programming, well, not necessarily programming, although that, that's common, which is um, really thin, thinning out the uh, distance between different rhythms. I don't have a good technical uh, description of a, of a Risse rhythm, but definitely Risse rhythm and the shepherd tone emerged at the, mm -hmm. at the same sort of time, mm -hmm. the same sorts of bodies of research. Yeah. But then, if that's a perception, the thing that's interesting for me in improvisation is this notion of imagined agency. Like, I'm never looking at a piece of equipment going, it's alive, it's doing something. It's uh, like, I'm not trying to be sh a shaman about any of my, my work. Um, I'm sometimes interested in the histories and where the technology has come from and how we can remind ourselves as performers and, um, and listeners where that has come from, where that instrument, that technology has come from. That's why the heavily modified tree for a violin or kind of circuit bending a, a child's toy and turning that into a musical instrument yeah. mm -hmm. um, can be quite useful. It's almost like going into like, it, it's, it's multi-dimensional then. Yes. It plays not only yeah. like in a sonic world, sonic sense, but yeah. Like it, yeah, it, it plays with its own history. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so then in that kind of moment of performance, 
this kind of notion that something is, is real or, or is imagined, for me that, that breaks down, it just it crumbles. You could analyse it afterwards and figure out what was what, but still, mm-hmm. if I'm playing even in, in a duel, with technology, it's quite possible that um, I hear a sound and I'm unsure whether I made it or the person I'm playing with made it, <laughs> uh, just because of right. the types of technology I work with. And um, that could be seen as important, but then to me, it actually it actually isn't, because there is no difference in, in that moment in terms of how I will respond to it. I guess you could argue like if you're kind of looking for a way out, if you're looking for an ending or something like that, there are specific chords and, and signals that we all play upon, like when we sit and go, okay, we're going to play for about 20 minutes, and it gets to about 20 minutes, we're looking for a way out. Yeah, but sure. there is this kind of... Um, this sense that the the real and the imagined doesn't matter in that sense and the more you can kind of believe that um, you might have made that sound and not question where it came from when improvising I think is really is really quite useful um, now is this, is this on topic? I'm not sure if this is on topic um, hmm. so sure just when we were setting up, I pulled out um, a very old book, Jackus Attlee's Noise, and um, he's kind of just got this idea that um, noise is um, noise is something we do to stop us um, being violent. So rather than killing each other and uh, and fighting and whatever, we we make sound. Um, I, I, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, I think, I, think it's, I think it's productive, and it, I mean, this has been challenged, it's not necessarily correct, but it's a useful way to, I think it can be a useful way to think about it. I was just wondering if there was a, a useful quote that I could pull out of this. Alright, how about this, page 24, so Atlee talks about sacrificing, and he says, Noise is a weapon, and music is the formation, domest- domestication and real- realization of that weapon as a simulacrum of ritual murder. So it's quite a, it's quite a big, it's it's quite a it's quite a big claim, and it, it, it can be it can be useful. And let me just pull out a, a few other things. Uh, not that one. That was not so good. Noise is also a term for a signal that interferes with the reception of a message by a receiver, even even if the interfering signal itself has meaning for that receiver. Noise is a concern of power. Um, music appears in myth as an affirmation that society as is possible. That's kind of an interesting one. I'm just kind of I'm pulling things, yeah, yeah, yeah. pulling things out. Um, noise carries order within itself. It carries new information. So we could think about like the surface noise on on vinyl. There, say the whether the actual music contained in there is the message or it's that surface noise telling us about a particular history and a particular time. Mm-hmm. So like when Christian Markley released um, a record with no cover and the whole point was that this thing gets posted to you and it gets scratched along the way and it has this kind of individual mm-hmm. work. Sorry, it yeah. becomes a very individual work. Right. So. I guess what I'm trying to get at with some of that is, um, for me, I don't know if it's always about sound, mm-hmm. as much as the act of listening causes us to do something, often physical, often in a 
untrained way, sometimes in a in a in a trained way, mm-hmm. and therefore the the kind of listening and responding creatively is to me like what the most kind of that's the most value I can find in music, the actual response. So yeah, mm-hmm. so there's listening, there's enjoyment, there's there's, there's playing repertoire, but then because we were talking about improvisation, that kind of um, what Eddie Prevost uh, talks about as no sound is innocent sort of feeling where you have to be ready to respond to it to any sound mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. therefore anyone that you are playing with is kind of aware that if you're ready to respond to any sound at all and you're gonna actually kind of critically interpret this through your own psyche your own body your own listening histories mm-hmm. therefore no sound can be in- be innocent as soon as you make something there is kind of a responsibility there, but then kind of have a responsibility to disturb silence or, mm-hmm. or things get very yeah. boring, I would guess. <laughs> Thank you so much for making time. No, for that's cool. Thank you for, for the um, opportunity to talk about this. That's it was really interesting. Um, yeah. Life is funny to me. Life is crazy to me too. Life is fun when you let loose. Maybe chill with your friends and eat some fruit loops. Don't stress, honey. Everything will be okay, trust me, just take a breath, calm down, put a smile on, here is a frown, life's too short to think about, everything so just so it down, life is like a roller coaster, spinning around and it goes faster, See the beauty in it, you can too Don't stress, honey Everything will be okay Trust me Just take a breath Calm down, put a smile on Erase a frown Life's too short to think about Everything's so just so it enjoyed that one um so another podcast that i found really interesting uh, was the one on masculinity sort of around that time i've been personally realizing some of the the confines that society had imposed upon me like based upon my unit not not like not like anything um malicious just simply i've been conditioned to to behave a particular way based upon my gender and so that was a really interesting episode because well I got to hear Kelsey's view on it but talking through some of those ideas I guess that that meant a lot to me in the moment and I have no idea what you guys took from it (laughs) but um but yeah that was very relevant I suppose for me and for our next segment we'll be talking about how others see masculinity Tom texted some of his uh, friends to see if they uh, if they had any opinions on what masculinity what masculinity really means to them. And I got um, I got some replies. I mean, they weren't they weren't the best replies. He got, yeah, he got some. I, I mean, got some. It, it, it's just kind of like expanding the uh, the influx of responses to not just us. Yeah, so they were alright. I yeah, 
So, do we want to start on... Actually, no, before we get to what others have responded, what yeah. is masculinity by uh, definition of definition. Google? I pulled up a definition. It's, uh... Masculinity is having the qualities or appearance traditionally associated with men. Now, the key word there is traditionally, mm. uh, and that can change. Uh, we, we talked about this in the last segment, actually, the how traditionally it's been yeah. like, over the it past can, years. It can change over, uh, depending on location, depending on how old you are, depending on what time it is uh, relative to the rest of the world. That's true. Like, like what year it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also, <laughs> what it, generation you're in. Yeah, as that's well. true. I because think then uh, you might have lived through a different... Was it like an uh, episode or two or three ago we talked yeah, about episode, generation? Yeah, episode eight, was just uh, generation. Yeah, Gen Y or Gen Z, I think I was there for that. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's um, some masculinity as we just said, it's how it's traditionally viewed. Um, and tra- how it is traditionally viewed is pretty much just how, like, you know, like strength, you know, yeah. how it is. But so I have a couple of responses here. Yeah. Uh, I'll go through them. So. I have one for my friend. I, I before I won't say the names in case someone listening kills decides you, to get triggers. Uh, but I will say uh, if it's female or male, yeah. because that is like it, it is important. Op- yeah. yeah, it's an opinion to actually. Realize. So ahead, this one, uh, female. I believe masculinity is when one obtains the traits of a male. So basically, this is pretty much stereotypically just strength and stuff. I mean, mm. I don't yeah. think she really thought about the, it. The traits too much. of a male um, could include. What, being well built, robust, mm. um, having having a wit that's different to females. Uh, I have another one uh, who now before I say this, I, I will read out the whole text. So I'll probably say this twice, but please do not get annoyed I, at I, him or anything. Yeah. Uh, so this one is okay. Every feminist is going to hate me. A good start. But a sense of masculinity come, often comes from physical strength and being able to be strong. But personally, masculinity is kind of a thing of bravery and mental strength, being able to push the pain. It was very brave of him to trigger half the world there, but oh, I mean... Wow. Yeah, um, I'd say being able to push the pain. He uh, texted us later on, he said, being able to push the pain, he clarified with us, being able to push the pain is uh, pretty much being able to uh, leave emotions at the door, ignore the... Uh, the pain that comes with them. So, masculinity, masculinity, we touched on this way back a few episodes ago, and um, we said that uh, it's important for men, in their eyes, or in uh, society's eyes, it's important for men to be able to sort of go into a, go into a movie theatre, watch a very sad film, and not have to be able to cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tom, I think... Tom's crying just listening to this. <laughs> I, think, I think most people are. Um, but the thing is, something that comes across a lot, uh, is that being a real man means you don't cry. Um, and honestly, that's not true. Like, if you cry, that's actually good. And if you tell people that you're crying, or if you're crying in front of people... It shows that you're able to perceive emotion. Yeah, and showing that you can actually empathise with people, and that you can develop, like, a, a deeper relationship with a person, and that you can actually open up to people. And back in the caveman times, that doesn't really matter because, oh, as a yeah. man, well, yeah, <laughs> <jump right> back. <laughs> it doesn't. Well, it doesn't really matter because, uh, as a as a hunter gatherer, mm. um, back in the hunter gathering times, you're either hunting or you're gathering. Yeah, and, and the back men, then, the men were given the job of hunting because they are uh, physically stronger. Yeah, as, as back gender. then, yeah, and yeah, men are physically stronger as a gender. But that's just a that's just a biological thing. And I'm not saying all men are stronger than women. I'm just saying some are. 
And actually, yeah. quite a lot of women are strong. I know quite a lot of women that are stronger than me, actually. Your girlfriend? Hey! Hey! No, him. not really. She's actually. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't. I don't know a lot of people that are stronger than me. Uh, women that are stronger than me, but I know of a lot of women that are stronger than me. Yeah. You know, like I can't remember body the names. Builders. Yeah, like oh, women. Women. Women bodybuilders. Like they're amazing. They're insane. I don't follow female bodybuilding, but uh, I don't either. For that insight. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, that's yeah, one of your kings. Back it? in caveman times, uh, men were sort of ranked in their own societies by how strong they were. Mm. So the stronger you were, the, the more the were the more well you were respected in society. And what was that? What was that touching on before that? Before I went to Cayman? Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, uh, wasn't it? Oh, uh, emotions. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, emotions. Uh, showing emotions is a sign of sort of weakness. So let's say uh, you're you give it, you're being put in a really massive uh, mm. dilemma. Also, something I just want to debut now. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And like. If you're under the age of 14, you might... Well, actually, if, if you're under the age of, like, 12 or 13, I don't know what this generation is anymore, but um, oh. you might want to cover your ears or either skip forward because I'm just going to debut something right now. The size of your penis does not matter if you're masculine or not. And in fact, another thing is you're back back in old time. It, it's a problem. What? You're, like, acting... Why are we going over this? I, I was just saying because I, I was just thinking before that we were talking about um, back in, like, Roman times I think uh, masculinity oh yeah but more in Italy masculinity would actually be how small because that was a sign of intellect and that was actually quite masculine to be smart fun fact with Tom <laughs> history lessons no not really but yeah aside from that um, aside from that it is yeah you, you continue speaking then yeah uh, <laughs> I feel that, uh, that that's not the show of uh, how the idea yeah. of masculinity has changed over time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the more important, back into cavemen, I don't know, it's becoming very interesting. The cavemen themselves, hey, um, yeah, the, the, the less you're able to show emotion, the stronger you appear, mm. and the, the more respected you are in a tribe. And I suppose that's sort of tagged on over the past, what, 100,000 years, and it's become a traditional masculine trait. Just not to show emotion, yeah. which is kind of crap in a way, to be honest. <laughs> because emotion is, I think, it's... what is sometimes stronger than your mind is your heart, because that can drive you to do things that you wouldn't. Like you're either gonna think rationally, or you're gonna think you're even gonna think with your head, or you're gonna think with your heart, and oftentimes it can get you in trouble. But it's what your passion is, and if you close up your heart. You can't function like a human being anymore. I mean, you can, but you're just, you're not open. And you're yeah. more, you're, you're verging more towards masculinity your, as a stereotype. Your empathetic self has sort of been thrown out the window. Mm. It, you no longer have the, uh, the traits that you need to, uh, to survive in the modern, in the modern day. Side of the road, 
tell myself what it is I should know But it's go, go now too much Cause that's just one part of the story of love somewhere in the back of my head is an image I regret Ooh, honey, I can't see Finally. This is a funny one. Sort of. It's funny if you're not me. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't even really remember what the, the episode was about, but it was an interview with uh, Genevieve Dingle, Dr. Dr. Dingle, a professor of psychology at the University of Queensland. Uh, professor, yeah, yeah, professor, doctor, doctor is what I said, cool. Um, I, what, what I think perhaps some of the viewers didn't understand is that uh, Dr. Dingle also happens to be um, my 
my girlfriend's mother. <laughs> um, we've been we've been dating for a little bit, and I I hadn't I hadn't met her, <laughs> uh, her mother that that is. <laughs> I I hadn't met her. This was my first ever encounter, and it was in a tiny sound booth. Um, a tiny sound booth. Like on on a good day, we'd have to take maybe 10, 15 minute. Um, sessions and then go outside to to breathe because <laughs> there's like air outside and stuff. Um, at, like yeah, essentially just just to keep going to not faint. <laughs> but the, by nature, this being like an interview um, episode, it, it was a little bit more uh, elongated. Um, and I, I, we couldn't just like suspend the interview in the middle because she was our, she was our guest. We had specifically asked her to come, uh, <laughs> and so I was slowly fading out of of consciousness, trying to maintain a conversation, trying to ask questions to this my girlfriend's mother, who was really nice. And, and all of that, but I didn't I didn't particularly want to be in this situation, almost passing out in front of her. Uh, well, uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. Let's say, and Kelsey would not shut up about it afterwards because, of course, she heard the whole story. She wasn't present in the room, but. Um, she was sure to to tell my my girlfriend about the whole thing. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this um, interview, this episode, which tormented me so. I hope you enjoy it with your newfound knowledge, perhaps, of what was going through my head in its, in its recording. I'm here with Dr. Jen now, and uh, is it okay if I ask you some questions about... Uh, your field and some of the things you do in your profession. Yeah, that would yeah. be great. Okay, so first up, to, to clarify for a lot of our listeners, uh, what exactly is music psychology? Well, so a lot of people haven't heard of music psychology and um, it is a fairly young and developing mm-hmm. field. Um, so it's really just a spin-off or a side um, field from psychology more broadly. So we still use the same theories and um, methodological kind of approaches as you know the full range of other types of psychology Um, but we're just really interested in the science of um, kind of how people perceive music how they create music how they respond to music Um, and so it's really looking at those psychological processes that are involved um, from you know the sound to the perception, so a lot of brain processes, and then the stuff that I'm probably more interested in is applying that to help people. So whether it's health or mental health kind of um, uses of music. Right. Cool. Um, so how did you how did you find yourself in this field? How did you get into this? Okay. Sort of so. Um, so I trained as a clinical psychologist and I've worked as a clinical psychologist in um, mental health services and drug and alcohol treatment services. Um, and 
while I was working in there, I started working alongside of a music therapist and I was sort of watching what was happening while the clients were doing the, the musical activities and thinking this is really interesting. There's a lot of um, avenues to explore here and to understand better what's going on. Um, and so when I went back to uni to do more academic sort of work, um, I've sort of done more and more projects involving music in different ways. Um, and so now I sort of feel I can call myself a clinical and music psychologist. Um, <laughs> took me a while to kind of own that. But um, yeah, certainly I'm really focusing much more so on, on music related um, projects at the moment. Yeah, cool. And so what what are some of the some of the projects you're doing? Like what, what are the applications of your field to yep. Yeah. general society. To, okay, to so um, some people listening might have heard of the School of Hard Knocks, which um, started in Melbourne and it's now a nationwide um, sort of charitable organisation that helps people who have sort of chronic health and mental health problems and social problems um, to engage in the arts, so different arts types of groups. And when they started the Queensland um, branch, I quickly got um, in touch with them to be their research person. So I went along and I went to the choir and also the creative writing group um, for their first year and I, I did a range of different um, assessments and also interviews with the participants and um, measured what was happening for them in terms of mental health and wellbeing and um, also physical health, visits to the GP, um, emotions, emotion regulation, so a whole range of things that I was interested in and just to see how doing something that isn't a traditional kind of treatment like therapy or taking medication, for instance, right, yeah. mm-hmm. can still really support and have a really big impact on, on, the, on your mental health. Mm-hmm. So, so that yeah. was an interesting project. That's um, We're still writing papers out of that, but that sort of finished up about a year or two ago. So measuring some of the the effects that music can have. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So particularly in this instance, uh, singing in a choir, so weekly rehearsals, right. where you get to feel a sense of belonging, and you get to see yourself as something important. Like instead of seeing yourself potentially as, say, a person with bipolar disorder or a person with schizophrenia, um, you start to see yourself as a soprano or a tenor. You know, yeah. and that's a really different way of <laughs> uh-huh. kind of conceiving of your place in the world and. Uh, and, you know, it gives you a reason to get out of bed and go and meet with these people. And, and the singing itself is really, really good for oh, yeah. you. Uh-huh. So so there's a whole range of, of different things, that um, psychological processes are at play uh, in choir singing like that. Yeah, okay, awesome. Um, so, so some of the effects on individuals, can you... Can you sort of see the progress like week by week? You can, yeah. You can, you can so talk, you can talk to individuals and try and assess how they're going. Like, how do you, how do you make I guess judgments based on this? What, yeah, yeah. So, what is the, what is the end goal? Um, so, I guess to some extent, we're trying to do just an evaluation of a whole program. So, from before they start the program till the end of a program if it's like a structured thing or maybe a year later in the case of an ongoing thing like School of Hard Knocks. Um, We're just really comparing where they were when they started to where they got to. Um, But in some of the other projects I've done, like I have a music listening emotion project called Tuned In and um, it's more for adolescents and young adults um, to manage emotions, to understand emotions. And we use music in the sessions to kind of um, evoke strong emotions and then sort of 
talk about them and talk about how to regulate them in different contexts and that sort of thing. So that's kind of different again um, because all the participants can bring their own music and of course there's a huge range of different you know tastes in, right. in a group. Yeah. Um, and then while they're sharing their music in the group we do a range of activities to kind of really pay attention to the music and how it's making you feel and we talk about a two-dimensional module of emotion and how you can use the arousal dimension and the positive negative dimension with music to help yourself out so whether that's you're feeling kind of low energy sluggish and you want to feel really pumped up and excited or vice versa you know if it's you're coming up for exam block and you're feeling a bit over excited mm-hmm. and you really can't focus and you need to drop yep. that down a bit there are types of music you could find that will help you to take that edge off um, or to feel more positive so it's quite it's an interesting area that once you start sort of tapping into it it just has more and more questions and more and more interesting things yeah it sounds really at. cool there's there's the, the social side that you touched upon before but there's also the i guess the, the mental side where yeah. the music actually shapes you affects you in some way yeah exactly yeah, yeah. that's so, really cool hmm. um and so uh how We've talked about how you became one, but how can someone who is listening, who is really interested in this, how would they go about uh, getting themselves into this kind of field? Yeah, okay, so probably a fairly, a couple of important distinctions to make would be that um, if you're interested in music and sort of mental health and well-being, uh, you're probably more aware of music therapy, which is a an accredited profession. So to get into music therapy, you have to already have a high level like AMEB level eight or something musicianship. And then you apply to get into a master's or PhD program in, in um, music therapy. Um, and that's that's an accredited profession and there are jobs called music therapists and that kind of thing. Music psychology is quite different to that. It's not a profession and it's not accredited or restricted in any way. It's just a field of interest, really. And so, um, you know, people from a whole range of disciplines, whether it be child developmental people or brain imaging type people or myself being clinical, there's a whole range of people who are, who are working in music psychology topics. Um, and we like that diversity. We like the fact that we don't have to pass a specific exam or do specific training. It's being deliberately kept fairly fluid at the moment as a field. The downside to that is that there aren't a lot of jobs called music psychologists at this point. Right. There yeah. are some. I've seen more, um, particularly in Europe. And Scandinavia is kind of leading the way in music psychology and there are lots of postdoc research type jobs in music psychology mm-hmm. labs. Also in Canada, it's quite leading. Um, here, often people do like what I've done and train in a profession first. So mm-hmm. say, you know, social work, clinical psychology, occupational therapy, nursing, all those kinds of things. And then they use music in their practice. And right. so they might be practicing um, music psychology theory within their professional practice. So I hope mm-hmm. that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> very well. Um, and the other thing to probably oh. say is that if anyone's listening who's interested in psychology and music and is playing music um, I'd really encourage you to look up what's happening in this field because it really is developing very quickly Um, you can join the Australian Music Psychology Society or AMPS um, for free so it's you can just join up online and they have um, seminars and conferences and just people coming out from internationally to talk about their work and it's really it's a great thing to start to learn about and get involved in if people are interested. Yeah that sounds like a really cool resource something to check out if you are interested most certainly um i have one more question uh so you've, you've talked about like 
going into musical psychology from a, I guess, a psychologist or a mm-hmm. as, as a therapist, but can it can go the other way, right? You could, could, yeah, could you so be like a, a musician, a musician and yeah, then... absolutely. So in some of the projects of, yeah. that I've done, I've, um, I've collaborated with musicians or vocal um, directors, choir directors, um, because I don't personally have those skills, like I take piano lessons but I'm quite bad at it um but uh yeah so when you need those skills you collaborate and you find someone with those skills and so I'll come along sort of more as the supervisor and the research person and they will be doing the music program and that that works really nicely as well so there's lots of ways that you can do music psychology um through collaborations with music educators or musicians or music therapists or Mm. that kind of thing yeah yeah that sounds that sounds really great and um yeah the stuff you're doing in your field sounds really interesting and it'd be cool if a lot of people got to know it a little more like some of the resources she was mentioning you could check them out Mm. um so i i think that's that's about it for today thanks a lot for coming in thank you thanks uh, for having me taking time out of your schedule and yeah it was a pleasure you're just like my ex. You're just like my ex. I've been there, I've done that. You're just like the last one. Said you call me back, but never call me back. Uh, said you gon' do this, but end up doing that. Voice is your signal to get away. You said you wanted me, but now I'm told to stay away. I said okay, knowing it'll only be a day. But you were serious, you said you couldn't deal with me. I asked you why, and you told me I was in your way. I apologize for being the real thing. I put you first, gave you what you wanted, but you turned away. Feeling like I'm 47, just got shot by an AK 47. On the top, wishing I was now in heaven. But you only struck my heart, not my head. You told me you couldn't do this, but then proceeded to do that. Gotta sell a tango Have to be persistent if you wanna see a rainbow If you don't, you're just gonna fall into your shadow You're just like my ex You're just like my ex I've been the You're just like the last one Said you call me back But never call me back Said you gon' do this But end up doing that
Finally, um, I just want to say, um, on behalf of Kelsey and I, or perhaps I'm just speaking on my own behalf, and Kelsey will um, put together her own her own little um, note of appreciation. But um, I just want to thank all of you for being like awesome, being receptive, and listening. Thanks for your time. Um, it's been really cool to go on. To, to do all this with you to go on this journey and yeah thanks see you later <laughs>